Welcome to this month's episode of Health Happenings. I'm your host, Nikki Carroll, and in the studio with me today, I have a, a local icon, she probably doesn't consider herself that, Kitty Fitton, uh, known as a local MC and also a bit of a stand-up comedian, but that's not who she's always been. Uh, welcome, Kitty. Hi, Nikki. <laughs> so, um, Kitty, as I said, you you do a bit of um, audience things these days with your emceeing and your stand-up comedy, um, but that came about in an unusual way. So, a few years ago, um, you had a diagnosis that kind of changed your whole view on your life. I did. So, um, just tell us a little bit, well, let's start with that first. Tell us a little bit about that particular episode in your life. Well, I'm a stay-at-home mum with uh, four children and living the dream. And uh, taking my children to school one day, I'd, I'd fallen over and hurt my leg, as you do, chasing five-year-old twins through through the park. And my leg started to drag a little bit when I was tired, but it was just my toes and it was no big deal and it didn't really bother me. And I thought, you know, it's going to get better because... I'd recently turned 40 years old and um, it's just one of them things, right? And then uh, it started to get a bit worse and a a bit worse and eventually it turned into um, a limp. And then then I noticed my left arm was playing up and that wasn't working very well either and I play the piano pretty badly, (laughs) you know, but I try. And people were going... Oh, it's an itching on dominant arm. Don't worry about it. And I was like, I know there's something wrong with me. So, um, yeah, people say there's a lot wrong with me. <laughs> and uh, I went, I went to see a physiotherapist who said there was there was something different. It wasn't you know physical. Uh, I went to the doctor and cutting a very long story short, they told me I had early onset Parkinson's. So at this stage, now people may have picked up that you have a slight accent there, Kitty. Only a so, little. Only a little one. So at this stage, um, whereabouts were you living? Uh, well, I was living in Waikanae because I'm from the Carpety Coast now. But originally I'm from West Yorkshire in uh, north of England. So you'd had no indications of anything like this in, in your earlier life? Nope. Nope. Um, uh, my... People will say, it's, oh, it's, Parkinson's is a genetic condition. And I just say, well, I, I'm just lucky, I guess, because nobody in my family has it. Everyone's in complete shock, um, most of all me. But, um, you know, be, being from the north of England, I, I like to think I've taken a bit of a stoic approach. Okay. So you're in your 40s or hitting your 40s. You're in a country that you've been in for a little while, but it's, it is a new country to you. Mm. And you've got this diagnosis of what a lot of people would consider an old person's condition. Yeah, when they told me I had it, uh, I was in the hospital and the neurologist said, um, oh, well, your MRI came back clear. And I'm like, yes, that's great. It's just a trapped nerve or something. And he said, so we believe you've got Parkinson's disease. And you just kind of sit there and go, um, and I actually said, isn't that like really bad? And he goes, oh, well, it depends on how you think about it. And he starts saying words like incurable and, you know, um, 
So all know, those positive words that make positive you be stuff. positive. Yeah, they make you feel really, really, really good. And and I said to him, well, um, am I going to die? And he said, oh, no, people die with Parkinson's, not because of it. Okay. I said, and will I lose my mind? Because I was thinking about stuff like that. And he said, uh, no, you know, you, that, no, you'll be fine. And I said, oh, you mentioned plenty of medication. He said, yeah, there's lots of very good medications now for people in your, in your position. And I was like, yeah, but can I, can I still drink? Because <laughs> I mean, obviously, drinking is not recommended as a, as a solution to these things. But at that moment in time, I really, really wanted. I really a wanted drink. to go home and have a quick. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. But um. So that diagnosis yeah. happened. Um, how many years ago was that? Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. So only seven years ago. Yeah, I think I'm coming up to my eighth anniversary. Right. And so your kids at the time were just school aged. Yeah, my twins were five, and then um, I've got two older children who were about seven and nine. At the time. Yeah. Okay, so not only had you been given this diagnosis of a condition that you were like, I'm 40, why? Yeah. It wasn't, it's a, supposedly a genetic condition. Nobody in your family that you can trace has got it. No. And you've got these little people who... Probably can't understand why mum can't get around after them like she was before. Oh, she does. <laughs> <laughs> she has words and means. Um, I mean, I, I remember going home and uh, my friend had been looking after my children. And uh, I went back and I said, they've told me I've got Parkinson's. And she said, I, I don't know what that is. And I was like, that's, that's great. Neither do I. Yeah, I had absolutely no clue. And uh, for a while, all I... I did actually fall apart for, for a while because cause you would and that's okay and it's perfectly acceptable. And um, then I eventually sought, sought some help um, and I uh, sought the help of um, Parkinson's New Zealand. Okay, so how did you find them? Like, um, So again, just going back to what we were talking about before, a lot of us think of this as an older person's condition. Obviously, for some of us of a certain age, uh, we remember um, Michael J. Fox getting diagnosed with it at yeah. quite a young age. But the others that we know of, in particular, in my mind, is Billy Conley. And he mm. was like well into his <laughs> 60s or 70s before he got diagnosed. Yeah. Uh, and finding help was actually quite difficult because uh, I, I did feel I'd been sent home with... I actually had been told, go find reputable sites for information. I was like, this is crazy. They wanted you to Google it. I, 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 seriously, yes. Um, and, and, I, and I did look at some stuff which kind of pushed me off a cliff. And then I thought, mm. hang on a minute, I'm from Yorkshire. I, I can do this. I cannot spend the rest of my life laid in bed crying because I, because I was. And, and um, I was really lucky because I lived in Waikanae, which is famous for, shall we say, people of um, a more mature outlook. And they had a Parkinson's New Zealand office here at the time. And right. I, I basically walked in and went, hi, I'm Kitty. And then I started crying. And the lady said, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get Vanessa to call you. And I was called by a very lovely lady who was amazing and helped me. And um, she... She'll kill me for saying this, but 
And she quite honestly saved me and, and really, really helped me. And without that backup and support, I don't know what I would have done. So what kind of information were the local branch of Parkinson's able to provide you with to help you with this journey? I think the best thing that they gave me is something like you've touched on before in that when you look online, everything is about the elderly. And there's lots of images of old people looking happy with walkers as their carers kindly support them. And, you know, there's lots of stuff like I stopped falling over and and you're like, whoa, this, this is really grim. Um, but I did get a booklet on advice for the newly diagnosed. The best thing was there were no pictures. So right. it was all prose and everything in it. It was dry, cold, hard facts. Which is what you wanted at that time. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I read that and then my, my son actually, unbeknownst to me, took it. And the next morning he said, hey, mum, your brain doesn't work, does it? And I was like, mm, no. This is the nine-year-old or the seven-year-old? He was seven at the time. And he said, so, so your, your head doesn't work properly. And I went, no, darling, it doesn't. And he was like, oh, do you mind that I read that book? And I was like, no, it's, I'm really pleased that you did. And um, So you've been open with your kids as, yeah. as much as they have age-related openness. At an age-appropriate level. That's it. Yes, Absolutely, yeah. And they, um, the best thing about kids is they don't care because you're just mum. And, you know, they, they see it as being, it's just something you've got. And even now they'll go, oh, oh yeah, I forgot that you've got that, eh? You know, <laughs> even now, like eight years on, you know, it has, I, I do... On a morning, it's pretty bad, and on a night, and when it's cold, it, I get a bit worse. And sometimes I'll go, hey, can, can you just remember that I can't walk as fast as you, or I can't keep up with you, or I can't... And they'll just go, huh? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but also, too, I mean, the older children in particular, they're teenagers now. I like their world is them. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you are the last thing they worry about. But that's how you want it, right? Yeah. And you want them to not sit and worry about it. Um, I took my youngest son out for a bike ride because, um, you know, exercise is like one of the best things you can do when you have this. And we were out riding our bikes and we stopped somewhere and I said, is there anything you want to ask me? Anything at all? And he said, um... Are you ever scared? Which I thought was, you know, really quite brave. And um, I said, yes, of course I am. You know, everybody sees like this smiley, happy woman and they're always like, oh yeah, Kitty, she's just great. I went, of course I get upset and of course I get scared. And he said, and how do you deal with it? And I said, I don't think about it. <laughs> I <pre> <laughs> I pretend it's not there. <laughs> well, basically, you, you keep living your life, don't you? Yeah, because you have to. Yeah, it's particularly, I mean, at any stage you need to keep living your life, but when you have kids that count on you, hmm. you need to keep living your life. However, having said that, you also made some pretty monumental changes to your life. So up until this point, stay-at-home mum, raising the kids, as you said, got a set of twins and a couple who are only a few years older. Hmm. You're really, really busy. 
but you decided, what the heck, life-changing health condition, I'm going to leave my husband. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so you, four kids, husband, but husband and you no longer together. So what was the mindset around that? <laughs> okay, for the record, my husband, real nice guy, lovely chap, uh, but we uh, we we had different ideas about what was going to happen in the future and I I kind of wanted to go off and live my life and go you know yeah I had this moment I think I think you have these moments of realization in your life when you think everybody says stuff like seize the moment wear your best clothes go out and live your life like it's the last day but nobody actually does it and I like to think that I try and do that as much as I possibly can. And I decided that I was going to try new things and go do new stuff and give things a go. And just, you know, if I want to wear my best dress to do the school run, then so be it. And people would say, oh, my God, your dress is gorgeous. Where are you going? And you'd be like, I'm off to Countdown. And they'd go... Oh, sorry, or maybe I should say the supermarket. No advertising. Do apologise. All supermarkets are created equal. And they'd be like, but you look gorgeous. I just fancied wearing this dress. And and my husband at the time, he just didn't want to come on that journey with me. And so it was really hard. But like through lockdown, <laughs> how many people did this happen to in lockdown? Uh, during lockdown, we kind of, you know, it, it just all fell apart. Right. And um, cutting, again, without going into it too much, we decided to go our separate ways. And then I moved out. And, um, yeah. And it's shared care with the kids, though, isn't it? I mean, like, he's still a big part of their, their Yeah, life. we do. We do week on, week off. We get on really well. Um I'm actually seeing somebody else now and uh, we were together, as is he. We recently held a party and, you know, he came along to that with his partner and we all we all get on and people sit there and go, oh, my God, your your living arrangement is so strange because your, your ex-husband is here and your new fiancé and his partner and you all get on. And, and like, well, of course we do because we have children together and that's really important. Yeah. And that is the most important thing is that our children are well looked after. Um, but yeah, I did that not not because I have Parkinson's uh, for a lot of reasons, but um, I'd started, somebody asked me to do a talk on living with early onset Parkinson's because I complained I never saw young people in any of the Parkinson stuff. Okay, um, so that was like a, a talk to the public. Yeah, it was. There was a seminar in um, Paraparaumu, and um, the chap that runs the local Parkinson's newsletter had asked for feedback, and um, you'd I, willingly given some. I had offered some polite feedback on the fact that I never saw anything positive and I only ever saw old people and <laughs> stories of somebody had died or had an accident or it was, it was it was not I didn't feel it represented who I was. Right. Wasn't positive, wasn't uplifting, didn't kind of show that you could still live a a full life. Yeah, and I would like to quickly add it's not all like that. No. So you know he's you know he, 
but they'd asked for feedback and I said I'd like to see some more people like me you know people under the age of 50 uh, people who are working people who are or people who have had Parkinson's for decades but still live independently and are still you know living full lives because they are out there yeah and um, he he responded by saying that's great why don't you come and talk to us about it which was not exactly what I'd had in mind. Had you ever done anything like that before? Stood up in front of people and, and talked about something that's obviously quite personal? No, never. And, and I sat and it took, me, it took me weeks to write this 20-minute speech. And I basically talked about my diagnosis. And uh, I went along, um, gave the speech. Um, I started off by pointing out that there we were on a Thursday afternoon while all the young people were at work. So here we were, you know, battering another stereotype. Because um, I kept saying, because, of course, only old people get Parkinson's. Yeah. Which, <laughs> and at the end, I got a standing ovation. Nice. And a bunch of flowers. And, um, and I realised, as good as it was for me, because it felt very cathartic, People did come up to me afterwards and say how much they, it had helped them to hear someone with Parkinson's standing up and saying what it was really like. Um, and that kicked off public speaking. So here we go, public speaking. And emceeing. And emceeing. Because I realised I was quite good at talking. And that definitely helps with both those things. Yeah. So has it... Uh, well, like obviously the emceeing wouldn't be so much, but the public speaking mostly being around your condition and your life living with your condition? Y yes and no, because I I've always said... <laughs> so I've always said that I'm an amazing woman, right? <laughs> so you know, Kitty doesn't need affirmations. She gives her own <laughs> affirmations. <laughs> but people, people say, you know, why does it take getting parkinson's for people to say oh my goodness you're amazing because you you go well i was amazing before i got parkinson's um i'm doing the same stuff so why do you only notice me because of the disease which i find a, a little bit strange I, I i'm very i'm very keen on equality uh, yes. on on i'm very big on um not just women's rights but like rights for men as well because it goes both ways you know um People often think that feminism and um, well, it's a dangerous word to say, uh, but standing up for um, rights of all people is um, just about women or just about, you know, maybe gender politics and all that kind of stuff. But it isn't. It's about making sure everybody's treated equally and with respect. And I'm really, really passionate about that. Um, I've done some stuff about successful separation and how how to you know split up so, so, you know, um, successfully without damaging your kids or each other. See, um, it's actually, that is quite a, um, resonates with me because I, I came from a family that split in the 1970s mm. and there was nothing around that. Like mm. mum got the kids, dad was lucky to have anything to do with them. Yeah. And you just, and if there was bitterness, it just, blow up and mm. then like you said it's about the kids mm. just because their mum and dad can't live together anymore doesn't mean that their life should look different yeah and and like somebody once in fact my daughter actually she was talking about something recently and she said oh 
do you, do, have you ever, she was talking about a breakup with a friend and she said, oh, we're friends, but we're not friends. And she went, do you, have you ever been in that situation? And I was like, well, yeah, have you met your dad? <laughs> I said, you know, I like him a lot, but we're not right that close anymore. Yeah. You know, so, but it doesn't mean that we can't still be, well, you know, friends, um, we, we get on. Yeah. You make an effort for your kids. Yeah. yeah. And, and... You're there for your kids if they need the support in relation to something happening. Well, it's things like Christmas and their birthday. And and on those occasions, they want their mum and dad around. And so we spend Christmas together. And people, there's a lot of people that knock me for it or think it's really weird. But But that's on them. Yeah. Like I can say, as a child of a a split family, I would have loved it if my parents had been able to get Mm. past that stuff between them. Yeah, I think it's really important. We spent all of our childhood bouncing from house to house. I would hate to force my kids to have, say, two Christmas dinners just because I I felt a bit of animosity towards somebody. I think that's really selfish. You know, it's not my children's fault. So, So beyond the Parkinson's, also about other aspects of your life, and how you've dealt with them. Yeah, because like, it's more to me than just Parkinson's. 100%. Yeah, 100%. and that, I think that's the thing. People, like, go, oh, yeah, because you've got Parkinson's. And you're like, well, well, yeah. And if I can use that as a something to get people to notice, you know, because like you said, everyone thinks Parkinson's is for, about old people, and it isn't. It's about, it's the fastest growing neurological disease on the planet. Which is quite scary. Yeah. I I have figures somewhere, but I haven't written them down. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that is quite frightening. It is. Um, But that's also linked to the fact that people are living longer and we've got better medication. Um, It was, uh, yeah, the um, medications are still kind of brutal. um, And, you know, there's a lot of tablets and you, you people are always saying things to you about like why are you taking so many tablets and medication is bad people but, yeah. are nosy and <laughs> and they're you know yes it's great to try and choose as many alternative ways of keeping your body healthy as you can but sometimes for particular conditions you have no choice if yeah. you want to be comfortable and to be able to live your life, you need to take medication. Yeah. I mean, I struggled at first with the knowledge that I was going to have to take medication for the rest of my life. And at first, you know, you start taking these tablets, but then you realise one day you, you're never going to stop taking them. You know, when you normal normal people, not that there's such a thing, that you have a course of medication, don't you? Whereas you kind of look at, I look at mine and think, it's only going to grow. And like my daughter said to me when I started on another medication after a few years, I was sat looking at this little yellow tablet and she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I'm going to take this tablet and I'm never going to stop taking them. And she said, oh, I'm like, hmm. She says, will it help you? And I said, well, well, yeah. You know, <laughs> so I'm going to take Bloody it. kids. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and that's just what you have to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but, um, if you want to live your best life, then you do whatever you need to do yeah. to help you live your best life. Okay, so we're, we're public speaking 
And then we get asked to MC for events because we're all so funny. But um, <laughs> did I did I hear you say stand up comedy as well? So, so the person that got me to do the speed, the talking, bumped into me down um, a local restaurant and said, "You're really funny. You should do stand up comedy." And I said, "Don't be stupid." And they went, no, 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 you really should. You know, I've heard, I've heard you and you're, you're really good. And everybody says, you, you know, your talks are really quite amusing. But I don't like to do dry talks. So I'd throw stuff in that I thought was quite amusing, you know. And, and I said, no, no, I, I, I really can't do stand-up comedy. And then um, he had a word with a mutual friend who rang me up two days later and said, hey, I've been talking to, you know. He he says you really should do stand up comedy, and he's worked in the media, and he knows what he's talking about, and you you really should do that, because I promised myself I'd try new things. I emailed Wellington, a bar in Wellington, and they were like, "Sure, you can do an open mic slot in two weeks," <laughs> and you went, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I spent two weeks furiously writing material um, and um, I went down and did the uh, open mic at Raw Meat Monday at the Fringe Bar and um, got hooked on comedy. Right. So how long ago was that? <laughs> oh gosh, three and a half years ago. Three and a half years ago. Mm. So diagnosis was 2016, so you're coming into your eighth year. In that time... We've uh, moved on from a relationship with our child's father to, and now we are engaged to another lovely man. Uh, we have, we do MC duties, uh, we do public speaking, and for the last three and a half years, we've been doing stand-up comedy. Pretty much. So is Kitty Fitton now different from Kitty Fitton pre-diagnosis? I... I don't think I am. I just think I kind of rediscovered who I was, if that makes sense. Uh, I've got um I have a website and I and a blog that where I write about um having Parkinson's. So and if I, people want to find those kitty, how do they find those? You can find those at www.kittyfitton.com. And that's K I T T Y F I T T O N. Yes, it is. I can repeat that lots if you like. No, um, but no, um, I um, I always thought blogs were really kind of um, for people who like to navel gaze and very you know self indulgent. And then uh, I, I found that writing about Parkinson's helped me, you know, helped me understand myself and the condition as well. And it helped me expunge some of those feelings of anger and hurt and bitterness. The only downside to writing a blog at kittyfitten.com is um, I forget that people I know read it and even my children read it. And you know, I, I was out somewhere with a friend having a drink one night and she said, I read your blog. And I went, oh. And she says, it's quite depressing sometimes, isn't it? But that's also real life, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, like you've just said that it, it's been a place to just kind of go, bleh. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's somebody out there who needs to hear that. 
Well, needs to read that. Yeah, I've I've had emails from people, and most recently, uh, a lady in the UK emailed me and said that she'd found my blog in the middle of the night. Her husband had been diagnosed with Parkinson's. She couldn't tell anyone. He wouldn't tell anybody about it. She was um, he was ashamed, and she said, "I I read I read your blog post, and it was like you were talking to me." So I, I, I laid in bed that night and I, I sent her a huge email and then, because, you know, what you got to really, I turned it into a blog post. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Kitty. Really appreciate it. And listeners, you'll be pleased to hear that we have twisted Kitty's rubber arm. Ow! And uh, she is going to be making a program for us in the future, um, talking about living with uh, lifelong conditions. So it won't just be about Parkinson's. It'll be a range of of subjects. Um, And, of course, it'll have Kitty humour all the way through it. Apparently. (laughs) It better. (laughs) All right, Kitty, thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Nikki. Thanks for joining me in this month's episode of Health Happenings. My guest has been Kitty Fitton, and you're listening to Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM. This programme is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.